Welcome to the Women's Circle Podcast. I'm Leela Strong, garden witch, modern day priestess, community creator, and steward of the long lost art of connection. May you leave this episode feeling resourced, reflective, and ready to make magic. Each episode, we will explore a topic for reflection that can be taken to the group setting of Women's Circle and Community Circle, or be explored solo. Women's Circle Podcast is a trans-inclusive, LGBTQIA intersectional space that celebrates and honors the path of all women who find this work. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to episode two of the Women's Circle podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again. So today we are going to talk in more detail about how to start and how to run your Women's Circle or your community circle. This format is great for any circle that you choose, uh, whether or not you're deciding to use a gendered container. I wanted to start by sharing a journal entry that I wrote in my very first journal for Circle. I bought this journal in the fall of 2018 at a time when I was so ready to start creating this kind of magic. And on the front page, I created a lot of intentions and did a small activity for myself. And on this page, I wrote this quote. My goal is to empower myself with the tools to hold space for women, to do this compassionately, passionately, and with the utmost respect. Mm. I still feel this way. I still feel that I am growing my tool set, that I am working with compassion and passion and respect. These are the pillars of the work that I do. So I just loved looking back at that journal and finding that The intention that I set even all of those years ago has remained in my work today as I've gone forward. So let's get into how to start your women's circle or your community circle. So it can be a little bit hard at first to decide who to invite. Start by looking around at the friends and even family that you already have in your life. This is a really good place to start to cultivate your circle. I would say that even if you think, "Mm, maybe not this person, they might be uncomfortable, they might think this is too weird, maybe extend an invitation to them anyways. I've encountered a lot of instances where at first, because of my own uncertainty and my self-consciousness, I said, you know, I don't think that this is right for this person. But at the end of the day, if you send the invitation out, everybody gets to decide on their own whether or not it is right for them and nothing is really lost by sending out the invitation. So start by making a exhaustive list of all of the people you think could be interested in this, could be a good fit, and even include people that you're a little bit nervous about. Not people who are going to create trauma and drama for you. You don't need to invite your worst enemy, but do consider widening the range of who you invite to include people that are not at the very top of your mind for this list. 
once you've created your list, you can hone it down to a small group if it if it is a big list. Try and contain it maybe to eight to 10 people to start with. I find that starting with a slightly smaller circle can be more comfortable. You don't have to worry as much about the logistics of managing really big groups. I find that my personal sweet spot for circle is in the eight to 11 person range. Uh, When I have bigger circles, it just changes the format slightly because we have more people who are sharing and a little bit less time for that deep sharing that I enjoy. I also love a small circle. I often have a four or five or six person circle. Scheduling is hard for people and so ending up with a small circle is really common and I love these. These are super gooey, fun intimate spaces. So if you end up with a small circle sometimes, fear not. This is actually a huge gift. When I first began, I was self-conscious when I had a small group of people attending. I felt like it was a reflection of how much people liked me, which was not true. Uh, This was just a reflection on people's availability and living in a really busy world. And as I've gotten into facilitation and settled into my role as a facilitator, I've come to really cherish these small spaces. I, some of my favorite circles are the five-person circles where we get really long shares. We get a lot of time to connect with each other. So whatever you decide in terms of how many people you want to invite, just know that the number of people that come to your circle is the right amount of people to attend. Next on my list for starting circle is finding a place to hold your circle. This may actually even be first thing, but also I I host my circle out of my home, but you can host circle out of someone else's home, at a yoga studio, at a church, at even an outdoor space if the weather is right for it. So really consider where you want to be holding your circle. Here are a couple of things to consider. You want this space to be as private as possible. If there are partners and roommates in the home, let them know that this is a contained space and they shouldn't be coming in and out while circle is happening. During circle, a lot of really personal things are being shared. So having your time interrupted by people that your guests don't know can feel really uncomfortable and violating. So privacy is a really important thing. When I host my circle out of my home, my husband usually either leaves the house or he stays in the back portion of the house and only comes out when we're on short breaks. So he's really respectful of this space. And when we've hosted in other areas, um, at other people's homes or at parks or anything like that, we, I really try to keep those parameters in place. So figure out where you wanna host, Depending on the size of your group, you'll know whether or not you can fit that number of people in, say, your living room. You want everybody to have their own space to sit. I use my couch and then I also use the floor of my living room and I set out pillows and we can sit on the pillows. So whatever it looks like for you, just make sure that it is private and comfortable and spacious enough for everybody. One of the things that I do want to note is that if you have a lot of pets in your home, it can 
be ideal, more ideal, to let your pets be occupied with something else besides entertaining and visiting in circle. I love a pet visiting hour and also it can become really distracting if we've got pets walking through and drawing attention away from the work we're trying to do. So also hold that in consideration. That's my personal preference, but if you are really a pet person and you actually really love to have your animal in the space with you, that's an option as well. So once you've found the space, once you've curated your guest list, I would recommend choosing a topic. Through this podcast, I will be offering topics for discussion once a month, and along with these topic episodes, I'll be publishing a PDF outline so that you'll have just a quick and easy resource to pull. You can just print it out, and it will have all of the information for this topic written out. So you can go that way, or if you want to create your own topic, write out your theme, some questions, a general timeline, information about your activity. I highly recommend having some sort of outline for your first couple of circles. As you get deeper into this, you will probably find that you don't need as much of a structure as you go along, but for the first couple circles, I used a really clear format, really clear timeline, And that was a really wonderful tool for me to have as I was working through all of the uh, challenges of learning to facilitate and being in space with other people. So however you decide to go about it, try and give yourself an outline as a resource. With all of those things in place, you are ready to send out invitations, schedule your circle, and go for it. When I send out invitations, I do this via text. If that works for you, wonderful. Otherwise, you can use email. Totally up to you and what works best for all the folks who are coming to your circle. When people receive the text, you can request an RSVP. Totally up to you. I don't typically, but for the first initial circles, it can be nice to have a count of who is attending the circle. Wonderful. Invitations are sent and you are ready to host your first circle. When I've invited people, I typically recommend that they bring a couple of things with them to circle. I recommend that they bring some water. It's great to be hydrated. Uh, They need a pencil and a notebook. And then I also invite them to bring a snack. For my circles, we do group snacks so folks bring things that they have enough to share and we usually start our circle by socializing and snacking for the first 15 to 20 minutes this also allows time for latecomers to filter in and everybody can kind of settle down and relax from their day a lot of the time we're meeting on a friday or saturday night and people are coming from big long days of activities so having some time to eat and snack and allow our bodies to relax can be super useful. So those are generally the things that I recommend people bring. But as the facilitator, I always keep extra pens, pencils, notebooks, paper on hand for folks who forget because it it totally happens. And I never want anyone to feel like they've done a bad job right off the bat 
by forgetting anything. It's a total non-issue, so always have some extras on hand for anybody who might need them. Let's get into running your actual circle on the day. So it is your first circle day. I typically try to leave myself a little bit of time before people start arriving to ground myself, maybe through meditation, singing a mantra, having a short lie down, you know, closing my eyes for 15 minutes because Something that I find is that these circles are both really nourishing to me and energetically pretty draining. So being able to care for yourself before you're preparing to care for others is really important in order to do this work sustainably. So give yourself a little bit of time to rest, relax, and calm down. I, in the first year, two years of running circle, I was often pretty nervous before before my circles. And it's only been recently that I've been able to really step into the relaxation and calm of hosting my circles. And and you know, that may be a personal thing. I do have a bit of an anxious personality, but I have found that regardless, having that time for myself is really useful. So once people start arriving, you know, these are typically going to be people that you know really well, but if there is ever somebody that's being invited that you don't know, so maybe uh, one of your friends is bringing a friend, I really try to take time to greet that person and make them feel welcome, talk to them a little bit about what to expect, and help them settle in, let them know where the tea is, where the bathroom is, all of those things, just to make sure that they are feeling really welcome in this space. I'll socialize with everybody for the first little bit, and then I will call the circle together. Once we are gathered, everybody is, you know, sitting in the circle, and and typically there's some snacking and tea drinking that's happening still, and that's totally fine for me. Once we've gathered, um, we'll do a couple of things to start off with. If it is a circle with lots of new faces, I like to go through and say names, Um, Sometimes you can include a short check-in. One check-in that I really love is by way of my friend Jocelyn, who is an amazing embodiment teacher. And a check-in that she uses is a word for your body and a word for your heart. So I love to start the circle with those two things, a word for body and a word for your heart and your name. This gets people centered, it gets them thinking about how they are feeling in their body and their heart, and gets everybody just a small introduction with each other. Once all of the introductions are finished, I will move into our group agreements. I pretty much always go through these group agreements, even if I'm gathering with a circle of people who have been with me many, many times. I find that it's really important just to speak these aloud. And I I chose the language group agreement over rules because I want all of these to feel collaborative at all times. We are all collectively saying, yes, I will 
support these parameters to the circle. So I recommend using the language of group agreements because it feels a little bit less hierarchical. As much as I can, I try not to let my leadership position feel hierarchical. So here are the group agreements that I always touch on and you may find that there are additional agreements that you'd like to add but these four I find are are very essential to the group running smoothly. So the first and most important agreement is anonymity. Whatever is said in circle must, must, must be kept private. The ability for this container to be safe is reliant on everybody willing to protect the privacy of all of the people who are attending. One of the things that I always try to say is that it is totally fine to need to process outside of circle. So maybe I shared something that really brought some things up for you. When you go home and you're sharing with your partner or your friend or your therapist, instead of saying, oh, well, Leela, she said blah, 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 blah about her relationship with this person, you can simply say one of the people in circle shared this. This protects my anonymity and my story while also allowing you to still speak about what what was impactful for you. And this is a really great format going forward. Anonymity, do it. It's so, so important and it keeps our circle safe. After anonymity, we've got no interrupting. So this is a really important one to me. I feel that as women in society, it is so hard to speak without being interrupted. And to go into a circle space where you're being interrupted is so upsetting. So I like to use a talking object, right? We've all used these, a talking stick, a talking stone. I have a really magical little fairy ball that I use that I pass around. So whoever is holding this object has the attention of all of the people in the circle. And in more detail, no interrupting doesn't simply mean that you're not asking questions or making comments. It actually also means that you're not even making really big audible reactions. You're not gasping and laughing and ooing and aahing. That is another form of interruption. So as much as you can try to contain your reactions and focus on holding space and presence for whoever is sharing. By not interrupting, we are giving the gift of allowing the speaker to to process without their path being changed and derailed by the interactions of others. There's totally a time and a place for interactive conversation, but particularly for the first share, uh, the first long share that I like to do at the beginning of Circle, this is not a time for people to be interacting with you. This is just a time for the speaker to say what's on their heart and in their mind. With that being said, I do always offer a pair share portion where you're paired up with one or two other people, and this is a time for interactive conversation. So we do both. 
But the agreement is that when we're in a time of focused listening to one specific speaker, we will not interrupt. The next agreement is no touching without permission. This actually kind of falls into the same category as not interrupting people. If someone is sharing and they start to cry, this is, this is part of their process, and you reach over to comfort them, that can actually interrupt their process and prevent them from fully walking the path that they would have walked had you not physically interrupted them. So I find that this comes up most often with tears and displays of grief. We're really we really want to comfort physically and that's totally okay in the right context. So if you have somebody who's crying next to you, really try and refrain from touching them, comforting them in any way. That being said, if the person knows that they really value physical touch as an interaction and they feel that it would be really welcome in this moment, I always offer that if you are open to physical touch, you can simply turn your palms to face upward in front of you, open palm gesture, and that will indicate to the other people around you that you are open to physical touch. So at that time, permission has been given and this person is saying, yes, you can touch me, hold my hand, touch my shoulder, give me a hug. That is totally acceptable. So no touching without permission. And then the last agreement that I find to be really important is no advice giving. These circles are not for giving and receiving advice. These circles are for self-inquiry, for listening to the stories of others, for journaling, and, and for really being in relationship with yourself. And when we look outside of ourselves for advice, it can diminish the intuitive process. There is a time and place for advice. It's just not here. So if you are somebody that that really loves receiving advice or really loves giving advice this is a wonderful opportunity to challenge yourself to interact differently with the while navigating problems so those are the four group agreements that are the the most serious so anonymity no touching without permission no interrupting and no advice giving if any of these things are broken, any of these agreements are are broken, I find that a gentle conversation pretty much solves it every time. I have only had to have a conversation with participants once or twice in the four years that I've been facilitating. I find that people are very, very good about upholding these agreements. But there is a time and a place to need to have repercussions for breaking these agreements. It is acceptable to ask somebody to take a break from circle if they are not able to consistently meet with these agreements. And if this occurs, I always think about trying to approach this with as much love and tenderness as possible and with the understanding that Asking somebody not to come to circle is for the safety of the whole circle and there would be a time potentially that they could be asked back. So if this happens, 
navigate it as best you can and feel free to reach out to me if this does happen and we can talk through it a little bit. So a couple other guidelines that I like to offer in addition to these group agreements are I always like to say that participation is optional with the shares, with the activities, with anything that we do. A decision not to share is totally fine. Sometimes simply sitting in circle and listening and being together with others is exactly what someone needs. And just because I've created this activity or I've created this topic that I really am excited about doesn't mean that everybody needs to participate in the way that I think that they should. So be very open to allowing people to participate in the way that makes the most sense for them. And then I also really love to invite everyone to be active listeners, right? This is something that we always have heard about in school and this is applied in circle similarly. And for me, active listening looks like bringing my total presence and attention to this speaker. It feels like meditation because for me, my form of not actively listening is starting to you know, plan what I'm going to share or starting to go down the really winding and wild path of, of other thoughts. Oh, this person said this and now I'm going to think about this time that this happened to me. So when these things happen, I try to simply notice and say, oh wow, my mind has wandered and just bring my mind gently back to the speaker. And this is an ongoing practice. I have to do this every single time that I sit circle. It's inevitable. I am not a perfect active listener and neither is anybody else. So it's an invitation to practice. Now that we are through all of our group agreements and recommendations, it is time to open the circle. I do find that it's nicer to go through the group agreements before opening the circle because it sort of feels like first we're housekeeping and then we're doing our personal work. So there's a little bit of a delineation there. So opening your circle can be done in a thousand different ways. This is completely up to you and your personal preferences, but I will take you through the way that I do it. This is something that feels good to my personal practices and is how I enjoy opening my circle. But whatever you do, Opening circle is important. This is a time when we are intentionally drawing our attention into holding the space that we are about to be in. So we're preparing ourselves to be thoughtful, to be in communication, to be in community. So I open my circle typically by inviting everybody to close their eyes take several deep breaths. Sometimes we do a longer breathing meditation. Sometimes we do a body scan, something to get us into our bodies. And then I will call in the four directions. And this is a tradition that is found in many, 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 many cultures. And so you may find it really interesting to do some research on a, an invocation that is culturally relevant to you or spiritually relevant to you. And so I start by calling in the four directions 
and I say a bit about each direction, what they mean to me, thanking them for what they offer to our lives. And I always end my opening invocation with this phrase. All this or something more for the greatest good of all. So mote it be. So this is kind of a combination of spiritual psychology and witchcraft. And this is what works for me. I love this invitation of, of that we are inviting in everything that is possible and things that we can't imagine for the best outcome possible. This feels like true magic to me. This is how I start and end all of my circles. So feel free to use that phrase or something different that works for you. One of the things that I really recommend when you are considering starting a circle is investigating your personal practices. What is going to be meaningful to you? These circles are non-denominational and I also bring my own spiritual practices into it. I am not a faceless, personality-less person. I am going to be bringing my belief systems into this and always offering it in a way that allows people to opt out if they're not into it. So for me personally, I'm a pagan. And so even by saying so mode it be, that is a very pagan witchy phrase. That is my like little drop of paganism that I like to bring into it. But you need to do the investigation to figure out what fits for you. Once you've opened the circle, it's time to introduce your topic. So I sometimes do this through storytelling. If we're doing something that's sort of related to mythology or seasonality, I'll tell a story or I'll simply introduce the topic and say, this is what we're working on. And here are some questions to start to chew on while we get into it. So once I've introduced the topic, I typically will move right into a longer share. I have in the past had circle folks request to do a little bit of journaling after the topic's introduced. That's something you can always offer for folks who enjoy a little bit of written processing before a verbal share. With that being said, I think there is a lot of value to just going straight into a share. One of the really beautiful and magical things about these longer shares at the beginning of Circle is that you are really sharing almost stream of consciousness style. So it is actually meant to be without too much preparation or consideration. If we are actively listening, that means that we're not preparing to speak about what's on our mind. We are just in the moment and listening to whoever's speaking. And then when it's our turn, we have this opportunity to just talk and say whatever is coming to mind, which is a really beautiful and different way of sharing. So with these longer shares, depending on the size of the group, if I have a group of, say, five to eight, I'll typically allow a three to five minute share, and that that lands us pretty well time-wise. 
If we have a bigger group, 10 to 15, I might limit the share to two to three minutes. If you need to do a stronger limit on the share time, I use a timer on my phone with a pleasant chime that lets everybody know when their time is up. This helps keep us on track. It is a way to be respectful of everybody's time. And it can be a little bit jarring for the timer to come on when you're sharing, but I find that people navigate this really well, and oftentimes they do just keep themselves within the time limit. So if you need a time limit, go ahead and use it. If not, you can just sort of feel it as it's going. That's often what I do. People will share, and it's very rare that I ask somebody to wrap up their final thoughts, but you can also do that. This is one that kind of falls into the gray area of no interrupting, but as a facilitator, sometimes you actually do need to interrupt. And typically the only reason that I ever interrupt somebody is to say, wonderful, thank you. Go ahead and wrap up your final thoughts. And uh, that happens very rarely. So you may not run into that very often. Once everybody in the group has shared, including you, always include yourself in this. You're a participant. Once everybody has shared, I usually take this time to take a break. By now, we're probably an hour, maybe a little more than an hour in. So it's a good time for bathroom, tea refreshment, and snacks. And it gives everybody just a moment to, to breathe after what can sometimes be really intense sharing. So always work in breaks so that people feel like there is a, a time that they can expect to be allowed to leave the circle. Also, I always try and let people know that they can leave the circle at any time to take care of themselves. They're not like bound and trapped in the circle if, if we're in the middle of sharing. As long as they can quietly and politely leave the space, that's wonderful. And I want everybody to take care of their own bodies. Once everybody's back from their break, it's time to move into an activity typically. So I really like to do sort of three portions to my circles overall. We have a long individual share, we have an activity that allows us to be hands-on in some way, and then we have a partner share. So depending on what kind of processor you are between these three modalities, we will hopefully get into a type of processing that you really enjoy. So for the activities, sometimes it's journaling, sometimes it's making art, sometimes it's movement. There's lots of things that can happen during this activity period. And that usually takes 15 to 20 minutes, depending on what we're doing. After the activity, I usually ask everybody to find a partner and then you get a lot of really wonderful time to share about the activity, to share deeper thoughts about your original share, to ask questions of your partner if you're curious about what they're sharing about. This is a time for deeper one-on-one -on -one connection. There is a lot of connectivity that happens when we are simply in our first initial solo share. And also, I find that it's really, really lovely to have one-on-one -on -one time with someone. 
after our partner share, usually there's another break, right? We're in for another 45 minutes, an hour. So we take a small break and then we come back for the closing portion of our circle. Sometimes I'll do one more brief check-in, maybe a one-word check-in, or I'll ask one more question and allow people a short share, or we'll just simply move into the song portion of the circle. So singing in circle is something that I find to be so valuable And if you get to this part of the podcast and you're like, oh God, no way am I singing in my circle. That sounds horrible and embarrassing. I invite you to push yourself because vocalization is such a powerful tool for connecting and grounding in your own body and with other people. I with each episode that I share that is about a circle topic, I will also share a song at the end of the episode. That song will be available on my SoundCloud. The lyrics will be available in the episode PDF. And even if you're not comfortable singing yourself and playing music yourself, you can play a recording of a song that you connect to. The reason for this is that by group vocalization, we can really start to integrate some of the things that we've worked on. This is a beautiful embodiment tool. It gets us into our breath. It gets us using our voices, which as women is something that can be really, really limited. So I strongly, strongly invite you to incorporate song or chanting into your circle. This can take a lot of different forms. As I go through these episodes, I'll try to give you a lot of different options for what singing and vocalization can look like. Even if you want to start out with just mmm, humming, mmm, that is a great entrance point. So usually I will sing a song with the group. Um, These typically have really simple lyrics so that everybody can sing along or at least hum along, vocalize in some way. And then if we have time for it, I do really love to invite others to share songs that are meaningful to them. And this can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes people will sing like childhood nursery rhymes or Taylor Swift, or um, I have a couple ladies in my group that love to sing in Elvish. And, you know, whatever form this takes, I find that it's so, so, so lovely and fun and inviting to hear other people share songs that are meaningful to them. And it's totally fine for them to, you know, pull out a phone to look at lyrics. Whatever makes this accessible for them is totally fine. Um, I'm a musician, so I try to memorize my songs and I have instruments that I play and I think sometimes setting the bar to that height can be really intimidating so definitely let people know that their songs don't need to be perfect they don't need to identify as singers they don't even need to know all the words in order to share a song or a chant or a hymn or a mantra this can take lots of different forms so once the singing portion is over I will close the circle And I do this again by calling in the four directions and ending it with that phrase, 
all this or something more for the greatest good of all. So mote it be. <sighs> and then your circle is closed. And because this is in my home, I always invite people to mingle afterwards and chat and snack and enjoy themselves connecting. One thing that I always try to consider, this is kind of just a little last minute note, is that I find that it's really important to make this a sober space. Having the circle be sober allows people to come into the night and leave the night feeling really safe and really themselves. So even if it's really tempting to include alcohol, I would say save it for other types of social gatherings and allow this circle to be sober. That is all I have for you today. That's definitely a longer episode. I hope this helps give you an overview of what it looks like for you to run your circle. Again, there will be a PDF cheat sheet of all of this information along with a really specific timeline for your circle that you can take a look at and use as a resource. After this episode, episode three is coming out and it's going to be the very first episode where I'm introducing a circle topic. I'm going to take you through the topic, questions, activity, and a song at the end. So please stay tuned for episode three coming out along with episode one and two. This has been the Women's Circle podcast with Leela Strong. To connect, you can find me on Instagram at the Women's Circle Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing. This will help get the show out to all the wonderful people in need of connection and community. Until next time, may you find magic all around. <laughs>